Let me hear everybody say love. Love. There we go. Today is Valentine's, and it is a special day every year. Um, and this is typically when families take time publicly to express their love for one another. And most of us probably do this more than just Valentine's. But it's also a time of the year when eligible men seek eligible women to see if they would be suitable for marriage one day. So the focus of tonight's panel really is to help families and possibly a future family, as Pastor has just said, with some insight on creating an environment where love and endearment can be present in the home. So tonight we're very excited to be joined by Dr. Mike and Sister Renee Berry, as well as Brother Micah and Sister Courtney Barley. And we are very, looking, very much looking forward to what they are going to be able to give us wisdom-wise. So um, I'll give you a first easy question, Dr. Barry. This one will start with you, and we'll go Sister Barry and Sister Barley and Brother Barley. Um, and we'll go from there. But uh, Dr. Barry, could you tell us how you met your spouse? What were your first few dates like? And uh, how and when did you know that you would marry them? Well, this is going back almost 30 years. So <laughs> this Praise was... God. Yeah, this was prior to the time of uh, internet and instant messaging and social media. And um, we had a very non-traditional dating relationship because we were long distance. And we connected. Actually, I met brother and sister Tinsley before I met her. And I was out on a convention visiting from out of town. And um, I called Brother Gleason. I was linked up through my pastor at the time. And I said, I'd like to visit your church Sunday morning. And I'd like the directions on how to get there so I can get a taxi or whatever. Meanwhile, I'm at a singles convention in Iowa <laughs> looking for a man. So, so, so he, said, he says, well, I'll send someone to pick you up. And so he knew they were up north driving south. And so he sent brother and sister Tinsley. And so I get into their car. Well, conversation happens. And one of the first things is brother Danny Tinsley says, so have you met Mrs. Wright yet? And, and it was like, um, we have a daughter. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. These people are trying to match me up with their daughter, who's probably a dog. And, I'm, you know, this is going to be very awkward. And so, um, anyway, <laughs> through a series of events, we were linked up, and we started writing, um, and it, I remember cell phone bills back when you didn't get data plans, and every minute and every second was charged for, and I remember a cell phone bill, when we would talk for a couple of hours of like $300 for one, and this was 30 years ago, so this was like, you know, I was spending all my money to talk with her. But I'll let her fill in some of the gaps at that point. So Okay, so he left, not seeing me. So a mutual friend here um, said, let's take pictures of you. So we went out and we took some fun pictures, and she mailed them to him. And when he opened up that envelope, he was like, whoa, baby. N not a dog. <laughs> yes, not he a dog. did. He said, I've got to come meet her. So he wrote me a letter. And he said, you know, how would we feel about talking? And so we started talking back and forth. Again, the old bag phone, you know, um, thinking I'm cool in my car. So um, we wrote letters. And, you know, I rattle. I write like I talk. So um, I wrote a really nice letter. And my husband, well, my fans are my, oh, my goodness. He, we are new dating. He corrected it in red ink and mailed it back. It was a joke. So um, 
my dad said, listen, let's not lose this one, Renee. Don't write any more letters, just call. <laughs> so that's what we did. And then we knew within three months. We were kind of older. And so we were like, let's not play the games, you know. Just, that just... was one thing with us. We were, she was mid-20s, I was late-20s. And we reached a point where we were dating. We're like, look, I, we, let's not play the game. Either you like me or you don't. We, I hated playing the game. And it was like, let's not waste time. And she said, yeah, I like you. And I'm like, okay, well, let's pursue this. And so. But we did get the blessings of all of our family and our pastors. So, okay. <laughs> Sister Courtney. Okay. Well, I actually met Micah in Leesville, Louisiana. It's a metropolis. It's huge. It's not. 6,700 people. Uh, my dad pastored there. And so, interestingly enough, I had told my mother a month prior to our meeting, I said, Mom, you need to just resign yourself to the fact that I might be single for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so, in comes Micah a month later. And I still remember the look on my mom's face. She comes running up to the piano, as only Sister Christian can do. And she's playing, and she looks at me, and she says, Courtney, there's a new young man here today. His name is Micah, and we're going to lunch together. <laughs> and I was thinking, this poor man forced against his will to go to lunch. What is he thinking to himself? And, of course, lunch arrives, and there are only two seats available that are next to each other. <laughs> so we sat next to each other. And I'm so grateful that those two seats were there because we've never been parted since by choice. And so it was a really good thing. And our first few dates, I like to call them uniquely perfect um, because they were in Louisiana and there are not a lot of cultural things to do in Leesville, Louisiana. <laughs> and so we, I found out he likes to do all the nerdy things I like to do, which was perfect because I'm just a big nerd. And so um, not as he's cooler than me, but at any rate, uh, but we had a lot of fun uh, together. And I think how I knew we would be married is I just felt a peace always around him. I felt really at ease. I could be myself as quirky as I am, and he did not reject me. Uh, so I loved that so much. And I knew that we would get married when he told me, we talked about love and what that word meant and how it was a commitment. And when he told me for the first time that he loved me, I'm like, that's it. We're getting married. I knew it. <laughs> a month later, he proposed. So that's when I knew for sure. Well, um, so I suppose the, the first piece of advice I'll give tonight is uh, we met at church. Uh, as Courtney said, that's the best place to meet a potential spouse. Um, I was in between duty stations. I was moving from Georgia to Louisiana. Um, I was back visiting home during that leave period, talking to my cousin, Jonathan, who pastors the church. Told him I was en route to Leesville, Fort Polk, Louisiana. He said, oh, he's like, I think I know um, Mark Christian, the pastor there. Sure enough, he checked his Rolodex. He's like, you've got to go to this church. Wasn't sure at first, because, you know, Leesville, small town. It's only down the road from Alexandria, you're right? Um, so that's where I had my sights set. But uh, I took him up on his recommendation the first Sunday I was there. Uh, I actually met Courtney's parents before I met her. Um, I had barely sat down 10 minutes before church. Here comes who I would later find out, Sister Christian. Um, she's like, hi, I'm Sister Christian. I said, I'm Micah Barley. He said, I think we know Jonathan, your cousin. She says, you got to come meet my pastor. I had been at church for two minutes, and I'm already in the pastor's office. But um, so I met uh, Brother Christian. Um, great, great folks. I had not even seen Courtney yet until church started, uh, but I'll never forget the first time I saw her. Uh, she was leading worship. She had a black hat on, black shirt, black blouse, and a striped skirt. So I'll never forget that. 
I looked at her and I said, I've got to meet this girl. Sure enough, it was Sister Christian's daughter. Uh, and she had already invited me to lunch, so our first date was already planned. And as Courtney said, um, you know, somehow two seats at the table were right beside each other. They were for us. Um, like I said, I consider that our first date. We really hit it off that first lunch. Um, and as Courtney said, we have not been parted since. But it did take me a while to know that uh, this could potentially be a long-term thing. It took about a month. Um, but, you know, when you find a good thing, you don't let it go. So... And as far as those dates, uh, Leesville has, Louisiana has a lot of good culture uh, with which to explore on a date. That's fantastic. I love that both sets of parents here played an integral role. I can't imagine Sister Tinsley playing any kind of role in anything at all, but but a great role nonetheless. Um, So next question is, we'll start with Sister Barry on this one, but everyone in a household has a different responsibility and role to fulfill. Um, but everyone in the family should be working as a team or together to keep the family together and whole. And sometimes if we're not careful, our responsibilities can cause distance between each other. And how would you advise a household to remain on the same page and to stay in the same world as each other? I think the teacher comes out in me. Um, So I have a calendar on our refrigerator and I have it all color coded. So we all have a color to our name. Um, So we know who's going to work, who's going to school, special events at church, vacation, um, and we all kind of look at that to know where everybody is. I'm kind of a helicopter mom, so we have 360 on our phones, just for safety, that's all. Um, We communicate with one another. We're very open in our family, so we talk about a lot of things. Um, We have chores. Everyone has a chore in our home. I say, if we don't work, you don't eat. Um, So we all have chores, and we help each other with those chores, especially if, like, Someone's working hard that week or sick. Someone else will, cho- you know, chip in and do that. And my whole family hates when I have church people over or the young marrieds because we scrub down to the baseboards and they hate when people are coming over. But so that's what we do in our family. Mr. Courtney. So one day I'll graduate to Sister Barry's level. We also do a calendar. It is not color-coded. So I, I will, we are, we are working, yes, we're a work in progress, but we also have systems. We find that it is impossible because of how fast life goes if we do not have a central location to put things. So when I am at my height of organization, I even put the meals that we're eating that week on there. It's very exciting because everybody can see what we're eating because food is important. And I like that. Um, Then the other thing that I would just say is that we as a couple decided that we need to implement time when we are home from work that we just focus on one another as a couple and talk. So we call it, it's very exciting, talk time. Very creative. You can borrow it if you want. It's just 15 minutes that we spend that we make eye contact. No toddlers are ever injured during the talk time, but there have been some interesting things that have occurred, like walls that are a different color. But we found that if we waited until after the kids went to bed, we were tired, we weren't feeling like maybe we wanted to talk too much. It's just like, okay, nice to see you. Good job today. So those are the systems that work for us. Um, yeah, and as far as topics go, uh, I'll just say we, you know, we do discuss finances. Um, it's important for us to know that we each have a say in how our resources are distributed uh, for the household. Um, as for dedicated talking time, I just describe it like, um, a hub and a spoke. 
if you picture a bicycle tire, um, those spokes are very close when they're at the hub. But as they get further out from the hub, they also get further apart from each other. Uh, and that's kind of like our, I'll use that to describe our day. You know, we're apart for the day. We're growing, you know, kind of apart from each other. We haven't talked all day. So that talk time is like our hub. It's a way for us to reorient back to that hub, grow closer to each other, and to see how we've been for the day. And really, uh, the principle at work here is intentionality. Uh, we make this an intentional part of our day, of our relationship. And it just, like I said, gives us a chance to, to reorient on each other. Um, and we found that this has worked for us even when I have been away from home for extended periods of time. Of course, we do that over the phone. But um, it, it, it is a principle of intentionality that, that works for us. Great. Dr. Barry. I hate to pop this bubble, but if you think I do every chore that she assigns me, you got another thought coming. <laughs> I learned not long after we were married, I just was going along and doing everything she said, and, and an epiphany happened one day, and I thought, you know what? I'm a pretty big boy. What am I going to do if, she, if I say no? And I found out that I could say no. Fight. So, guys, you learn you can say no to some of those things. But we <laughs> Can I tell you that was our first fight? I make lists. And he said, this is what I think of your list. And he stuck it in the garbage disposal and broke the garbage disposal. And we had to get it fixed. Well worth it. So, yes. Okay. No, we all, we all do contribute to the household. That's one thing. I do my time. I do laundry. I do dishes. And when the kids are supposed to do their stuff and they don't, then I fill in for that. And I, my middle name is Trash. I take out the trash all the time. So there is a, um, a delegation within the household. We each do things. The principle, when Paul writes in Ephesians and Corinthians, the structure of the home is based on submission. Everybody Ex exhibit submission one to another. And so we have to consider others' needs other than ourselves, which means we can't be selfish, which means that sometimes I have to put down the game controller and I have to sit and, and do my time and do what needs to be contributed. We submit one to another within the household. That's fantastic. That's really great stuff. So it's good for families to have a relationship with an extended family and friends, but sometimes troubles can arise when outside family and friends have too much influence in a family's life. Um, what are some good principles for setting boundaries for how much influence family and friends can have on a household? And we'll start with you, Sister Courtney. Sure. Well, I'll borrow this quote. I believe it's Stephen Covey. It may also be Brother Tenney, and in my mind, it's a little fuzzy. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so I hearken back to that because for me, the main thing in keeping appropriate boundaries is to assure that our relationship is first and foremost. So when we have a situation that we need to know direction for where we're going to go next. If I have a problem or an issue, I want to make sure that I come to Micah first because that's who I made my vow to. And so another thing that helps me to kind of keep that at the forefront of my mind is that we read a book called Love and Respect when we first got married. If you haven't read it, it's a really good book. Micah will talk about it, I think, a little bit later also. But there's a quote in it kind of demonstrates how important respect is in a relationship for a husband because that's how he knows that the wife loves him. And the gentleman said it like this, the problem many women have today, including Christian wives, is that they want to be treated like a princess, but deep down they resist treating their husbands like a king. So I just really want to 
reinforce to him, I value your voice, I value your guidance and counsel, and so I set that boundary that he gives me advice. This is obviously with earthly relationships. Jesus first, amen. Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm a visual person, so I, I visualize this as uh, concentric circles. If you've ever seen one of those old archery targets, you know, you got your bullseye and then your circles around it. Uh, and then that center circle would be like our immediate family, um, you know, our circle of influence. And then the first circle outside of that would be our close family, close friends, uh, pastoral leadership, church leadership. And then beyond that, uh, extended family, you know, extended friends. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, the outside world. And really... Um, kind of build this, this structure with the intent of influences on our lives, our family's lives, and especially those on our kids. Um, so I also kind of, we like to apply this to um, like, the me, like media um, and media devices. So as a way that we can kind of put distance between some of those outside influences in the world and then um, on our kids. Because um, there, there's a lot of confusion in the world today. You know, we kind of see it as our, as our duty, as our job, you know, to, to shield our kids from some of that confusion until a time that the principles that we've taught them, uh, they can make their own decisions and hopefully apply those, some of those principles that we've taught them. So. Dr. Barry. Um, I think although we have boundaries on how friends and family access our home, it's important to bring the influence of godly friends and godly family into to expose our kids to that they need to see this human side of of role models that they can look to that that they see how we interact how we develop friendships within the body of christ however at the same time you have a responsibility in your home to limit access and unfortunately i would like to say that we can be open, an open door in our home and allow anyone to come in. And while we want to be welcoming, we do have to restrict access. Sometimes as a parent, we have to make a decision. We're not going to allow this person. And this is said in the privacy of our own home, but we, we can't allow these people to come in. To, we may invite them in on a limited basis, but to expose them to our family, to um, any spirit they may, and, and that has to be taken seriously. There are people that will bring, uh, not to be overly spiritual, but people do bring spirits in with them into your home. And as you control that atmosphere in your home and what your family is exposed to, you have a responsibility to make sure that your home is safeguarded from those things. So. Speaking of boundaries, I agree with Courtney. We talk about certain things, and you know, we live in a unique situation where my parents live in an in-law corners connected to our home. And so people are like, how do you do that? Well, my dad decided that Mike was gonna be the man of the house, he didn't care. But they stay on their side, and we have boundaries. So when we first got together, we talked about it, and then my kids would always run over to me and mom papa's side and say, my mom and dad's doing this. And so then my mom and dad would kind of correct them. And so we had to file back and say, okay, we got boundaries. Where are the parents? You're the grandparents. You got to be the sweet, kind ones, you know, they can run to. So we established that, but we still go back and forth, like, and check the boundaries with different people. The lock is on their side, it's actually. True. <laughs> that is, it's true. Um, I have a big heart, and so I have got myself in trouble many a time not talking to my husband first. 
because I just trust and love everybody. So wives, they do look after you and they do see things that we don't see. So communicate with them first. It'll save you a lot of trouble. I'm hearing the same theme throughout all of these answers is that communication and trust are pretty much paramount to what we do as married couples. That's great. So question number four says, how would you advise a parent to correct their child and the child not to feel guilt, shame, or hate, but feel love and motivated to do what is better and to do what is right? Brother Michael, we'll start with you. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough question. We're no, new parents still. We've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, but I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room who remembers being corrected as a child and saying to myself, man, when I have kids, I'm not going to do that. But then here I am on the other side, finding myself doing that thing that I told myself I would never do. Um, so we're, we are still learning uh, what our kids respond to, you know, the, the, not only the type of correction, but the type of motivators uh, that, they, that they respond to. And that's part of the fun and the journey of being a parent, I think, is really you know, getting to know your kids. Um, so I, I can just answer this with a couple of principles from Scripture. Uh, first from Colossians, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Um, and then also from Proverbs twelve eighteen, there is one who is rash and whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue is wise and it brings healing. Um, you know, that old saying, word, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, the Scripture is teaching us here that, you know, words do have power and they can pierce and they do linger. And, you know, that's, as we all know, we've probably all experienced, you know, a, a sharp word that we've received. You know, it could be from anybody that has lingered on our spirit for a, for a long time. Um, but these verses, and then, of course, my own experience, um, remind me of the need for, for love and correction. And that correction should come from a place of love. Um, and I've also learned from having kids, uh, with, with our kids, that they are subject to the same human fallacies that I am. Um, I've been forgiven of a lot, so, you know, I can forgive a lot. Um, I remember reading a story once about a, a man who had been forgiven of a lot of debts, but then he went out, realized somebody owed him something, and he said, give me what you owe me, and it did not end up well for him. So in that same way, I've been forgiven a lot, uh, received a lot of correction out of love. Man, I've been perfect, but I can look back and understand that I was still given grace, and I can kind of approach my own kids, but the correction with my own kids in that same uh, loving manner. Dr. Barry. Um, there's a balance. And for every one negative encounter that you have with your child in the form of discipline, you have to outweigh that 10 times with fun and love and affection. And if you do that balance, then when you discipline, they understand that mom and dad still love me. It's just I've disappointed them. And one of the things that I used to say years ago is when we would talk about this subject is don't discipline your children in anger. Well, that's hypocritical because if you've ever dealt with a child and there were times when our kids would do things and we would trip over each other to get to them to stop certain behaviors and sassy words and attitudes and there was a little bit of anger there and I realized even Jesus disciplined in anger and I think anger can be a tool if it does not go into abuse and like Ephesians 6, 4 says, provoking your children. If your anger 
um, is done in a way that emphasizes to the child that what I am telling you is so important that this makes me angry. Sin should make us angry. Negative influence on our child should make us angry. There are things that we should not tolerate. And looking back at my childhood, the things that I remember being disciplined about so clearly to this day was hearing the voice of my mom and dad in anger saying, you will not do this. And that's somehow a way that we can teach our children and utilize maybe what can be kind of a negative emotion can actually be used in a positive way. What we speak over our children is like showing them a mirror. They only see the qualities in themselves that you reveal. So if you're getting onto your child and you're saying, you were so stupid when you did that. What were you thinking? Or why are you not studying? Are you dumb or something? You got a D on your test for dumb? Instead of saying, you know, you did this. This was not right. Let's correct it. Let's do better. We love you. And the thing that you did, we don't love, but we love you. And then encourage them. You're smart. You can do this. Everybody makes mistakes. I know that we've had to ask forgiveness to Natalie and Cameron sometimes when we probably overcorrected, when we didn't listen or know the whole situation. Um, and then we're like, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. You know, we make mistakes as well. I also think that crosstalk is what we call it in our house. Kids, if they hear their name when their parents are talking, will listen. They will come out of the room and you'll hear them walking down the hallway or they'll put their ear up to the door. So we crosstalk at positive things in our home. Did you see what Natalie did today? You're gonna be so proud. She was so kind to this person. And you build them up a lot by that and you don't have to tell them because sometimes I've told my kids and they're like, oh, you're just my mom. That's why you say it. But if you tell someone else and they hear it, that's a good thing. Also remember, children are like plants. Plants need water, sunshine, and caring for. Your children need time spent with you, quality time. Listen to them and love them. So one thing that we borrow from my dad that helps us to keep things in perspective is every time my dad would discipline my sisters and I, he would tell us, I love you afterward. And as a child, I got to be honest with you, that really infuriated me because I knew it was coming. And I just thought to myself, here it comes. But, you know, hearing that, I made the connection in my head. Correction comes from a love. Correction comes from love from him. And so now we try to do that uh, with toddlers. There seems to be a lot of correction that occurs. So we say it, we try to say it a lot. <laughs> but also then I read a book called Scream Free Parenting. And it helped me with a concept that I think is good for me personally. And that is looking inward to yourself and finding out what are the things that cause you to react adversely and try to measure that before you correct your children. So a simplistic thing would be loud noises really upset me. If I hear a loud noise, knee-jerk reaction is I exclaim passionately to stop the loud noise because they just bother me. But I started to realize that how am I supposed to help correct that behavior if I respond in kind? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so I really try to, in 
each occurrence where the misbehavior happens, find out how can I respond in such a way where the kid understands how to correct the behavior and go from there and build. And it's an everyday, everyday Jesus help us thing. Did you say, you said about uh, the, the only person you can control in that interaction is yourself. The, you know, when you're correcting your kid. So that's how you get into uh, the decision cycle of the knee-jerk reaction, and you can put a thought between you and that reaction, you know, by measuring yourself and, and controlling yourself. Thank you. I forgot that. <laughs> That's teamwork right there. <laughs> so this, um, these days, families are finding it more and more need of in families to focus on emotional alignment, less emphasis on reacting quickly to solve a problem. Dr. Barry, we'll start with you. How would you advise husbands, wives, parents to show support for each other emotionally? Uh, one thing before I get to that is an interesting conversation that we had, uh, the four of us had prior to service. And that way, if you think that we're up here because we're perfect families, we are not. We're not perfect parents or spouses. We said if that was a criteria, none of us would qualify to be sitting up here tonight. So just clarify that. But um, emotional support for each other, um, everyone's feelings matter. And if you can't share your emotions and your feelings within the context of home, where can you share them? And I can tell you that if a spouse doesn't feel emotionally supported and a child doesn't feel emotionally supported, they're going to go somewhere where they are. And so home is a place where everyone, whenever anything happens, any one of the kids need to talk, everything stops. We have family conferences not planned, but organically something happens and we're like, okay, we all need to sit down and talk this out. So emotional support is important. One of the things when I was thinking about this is a memory growing up and, and still just when a few years ago when my, I lost my parents, I remembered I could call my mom and dad anytime. I would lose track of time and sometimes I would call them at like one o'clock in the morning. My dad would answer the phone and say, hello. And I would say, oh, I'm sorry, did I wake you up? And my dad would say, I'm just resting my eyes. And he would be ready to talk. Anything I needed, whenever I needed to talk, everything stopped. And my dad, mom and dad would listen and be ready to talk anytime. I want to be that kind of parent. I want to be accessible anytime. We do create that, like he said. Um, usually our kids like to talk around 11.30 p.m. or midnight. So as we're sitting and you know, trying to get ready for bed and go to bed, here they come in our bedroom. And um, they pile on the end of the bed and we talk. And because if you don't do it then, they may not be brave enough to do it again. Or they're thinking, well, maybe that was dumb. So maybe I shouldn't talk to my parents about that. So just be always willing to sit there and say, yes, I'll drop everything I can and talk to you. Um, that's very good. That's how we raised our kiddos. Um, also, supporting each other emotionally. My husband, I watch him. You know how you know wives when they're getting grumpy or snippy and you're thinking something's not right. Um, I kind of watch his behavior or I'll talk to him and say, what's going on? You know, what can I do to help you? I, in those days or times, always have dinner ready, a clean home, 
candles burning. You need to make him feel special when he's out there beating his hiney every day, working for you, you know, and then he comes home and he needs a safe castle to come home to. Um, and then he helps me when I'm emotionally support and need it. He sets and watch endless hours of Hallmark movies. <laughs> um, and we talk. And, and then, of course, if I have a problem, I have to discuss it about five different ways. Because I try to fix it, and then I'm like, no, that's not going to work. So he just listens to me. When we were first married, he would try to fix it. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to listen. So um, that's what he does now. He just sits and listens and listens. I think for, for wives, one thing that I, I try to do is I try to remember that Mike and I are still dating in our conversations. The phase of life we're in, three-year-old, two-year-old, and everyone can relate to this, though. It just kind of feels like your life is a locomotive that just keeps going. It's going faster, and there's more things piling on, and you keep making stops. The train has left the station. <laughs> left the station a long time ago. We don't know who's driving. I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But, but there's a lot of busyness, and so it can become mechanical, I feel like, where you just, the conversations you're having, it's, it's not that exciting sometimes. And so I try to do things like when we're talking, I just smile. It, it just to smile so that he knows I'm happy. Everything's good. You know, we're not maybe talking about doing the dishes, but we're still smiling. Uh, that way he knows I still want to connect with him. And we find little ways that we can still do that. And kind of same thing the berries were saying we with children connecting also just making eye contact with them because it's very easy having cell phones being introduced at the stage of my life when they were, it's too simple to just, oh, I'm going to look this up or I've been trying to buy this thing. And I really feel like the kids, it's like their face just drops because they know you're not going to pay attention for a little bit. So it's really important, I think, to put the devices down as much as possible with the little ones. Yeah, I, I reiterate that, uh, you know, in practice, it's highly important for us, you know, to actually look at each other when we're talking to each other. It's just something that we, we practice a lot. Uh, but, but for this question, I'll leave you with two, two theories that seem to work for us in practice. Uh, the first is uh, love and respect. Courtney mentioned it earlier. And uh, this is based, it's actually a book, um, based off the idea that men crave respect and women crave love. And if either spouse is not receiving one of those things, there'll be some sort of disconnect between, between the two of you. Uh, and really, that's, that idea is based on Ephesians 5.33, uh, speaking to the husbands here, each of you love his wife as he loves himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this sounds simple, but with the complexity of daily life, as Courtney said, you know, the, the train has left the station and it, it's, it's just gone. Um, your relation ma ma relationship maintenance um, might not be the most important thing that you do in a single day, but it's probably the most important thing that you do every day. Um, and what I've found is that this love and respect, you know, that's in our little 15 minutes of communication, um, if I can verbalize, you know, that I love her, verbalize it, that I really appreciate the things that she does, you know, for me, for the family, um, yeah, that, that, that's a quick way, it's called a quick win, but uh, that's a quick way in which, you know, we can have some relationship maintenance on a daily basis. Uh, for the second, second theory, probably everyone's heard of the five love languages, you know, Gary Chapman, um, it's a great theory. Um, seems simple, but it is difficult, can be difficult in practice, especially if you find that you and your spouse maybe are speaking different languages. You know, there's some sort of disconnect there. Um, 
If you haven't, I encourage you to go on, take the quiz, love languages quiz, figure out what kind of things you respond to, what kind of things your spouse might respond to if you have not already done that. And if it's been a while since you have done that, you know, maybe times things have changed a little bit. So I encourage you to, to try to, to take it again. Um, it does tend, this one does tend to categorize people, put certain people into, you know, different categories. Um, however, I found that probably all of those things, all five of those languages, in some manner will communicate to me or, or to Courtney. Um, and it provides plenty of ideas for ways for you to align emotionally with your spouse. Um, and if you are in this for the long haul, like I'm sure most of us are, it should be a fun and joyful, interesting thing, learning how to connect with your spouse you know, over the course of your lifetime. And that's all I have to say on, on that. We're going to go off script here. So I've got one question, short answers here. We're going to start with Dr. Mike, and we're going to go to Brother Micah here in just a second. But what advice would you give a guy who is going to ask a girl out on a date? Dr. Mike, we'll start with you. I guess it would depend on what the context of the date, because there's kind of like fun dating that when you're at a younger age, you're, you're like, you know, just dating to meet people. But then there's a time when you're seriously dating. One of the things I did when I was contemplating somebody that I might want to marry is I kind of looked at it in a very unromantic way. And that is like a job interview. How does this person meet up with what the things that I'm looking for in a spouse? So I know that's not the romantic uh, answer you wanted, but that's, that's a good one. <laughs> My turn. Yeah. Uh, number one thing, a breath mint. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, he's always fresh. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I try. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, a type of date or some sort of date in which you can actually talk to the person that you've asked out. Um, if you're activities based, um, Courtney and I, we, we just really enjoy each other's company and enjoy talking and making jokes about little things. So one of the first dates that we went on, um, I had a rule. So a date had to have three things, um, typically a coffee, some sort of activity, and a dinner. Um, so one of our early dates activity was um, an art museum. You know, and if you can imagine an art, muse- an art museum in Alexandria, Louisiana, um, you know, it's made for an in- some interesting conversation. But uh, just, I would just recommend something that you can do together that actually gets you talking to that individual so you can get to know what interests her, um, what doesn't interest her, and then, of course, bring a box of breath mints with you. That's fantastic. Sister Renee and Sister Courtney, very quickly, what can a do- girl do to give off the signal that she is interested in a guy and ready to be asked on a date? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Um, look good and um, smile at them, you know, put a little lip gloss on and smile. And I used to go down and pray at the altar around some of them, you know, oh, but <laughs> um, but you know, because you don't want the guys that are out there talking or you know, done, you want those. Come on, talk about it, come on now. So sometimes I did that, but, you know, but, but be praying while you're there, but, you know, kind of have a <laughs> eye open. And if they look at you, smile real big. Don't look away or, or go up to a group, you know, go up to a group, but take another girl with you, 
so you don't look desperate and then, you know, kind of go by and talk. But that's what I would do. <laughs> this is Courtney. I don't know if I can top that. That was really good advice. It was super stellar. I mean, it's like secret agent type stuff. I'm here praying. No, it was really good. I, I would agree with that. I would also say that, you know, just, you know, shoo yourself friendly, like be a friendly person. I think in this day and age, it gets really easy. You know, oh, I send them a message or, or whatnot that... Oh, Micah said, set yourself apart, wear a hat. I mean, that's true. Hats work. I mean, I didn't know they did at the time, but they do. It just, and whenever you are in the opportunity of getting to know somebody, um, look like you want to get to know someone, you know, if you're having a conversation, if you are, if you are looking as though the conversation is painful, then they will not want to continue the interaction. That's all I got. I can't do the prayer when she did this. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Let's give it up for our panelists tonight. Thank you. And let's all stand here in just a moment. We're going to pray very quickly, but then after that, if parents could please grab their children before we begin our business meeting. But let's pray together. Let's pray for the family unit of the Life Church. Let's pray pray for those that are families, husbands and wives with kids, but also those that are still seeking for a family. And let's pray that God would be with them. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, we thank you for how great you are, and we thank you, Lord for what we've heard tonight, how we can apply these things, Lord, whether we are in a family unit now, God, or we're seeking for that. Lord, I pray over every family of the Life Church, whether they are here tonight or they'll be here on Sunday. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon our marriages, upon our relationships with our children and those that are gonna have marriages in the future and children in the future. I pray, God, that the blessings of the Lord would be upon every family, upon every husband, upon every wife, upon every child and upon every mother and every father. Lord, we thank you for what you've done already and we are giving you the glory and the honor for what you are gonna do for every family of the Life Church, and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen.